We are back in the football shed. My name is John Hewitt. Jeff King is here. Good day. Roger Gibbs is here. Good evening. And we are all here a day late because yesterday was carnage. So there was a power cut in the shed and Rog was stuck in Preston. You couldn't get here. In a hurricane, John. A hurricane in Preston. It wasn't just a power or a cyclone. Cut. Sorry, it wasn't just a power cut in, in the shed. My house was at the epicentre of a weather event. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a fact. Yeah, the cyclone. The news, it's a, fa- a cyclone. Pre- Preston cyclone. And so the power went out in the whole suburb. Um, Four thousand homes. We were right in the middle, yeah. going whiz bang. It was carnage. And my house is fifteen minutes from Jeff. And after an hour of trying to get here, I gave up. Yeah. So, but uh, we are committed to the uh, shed, so we've come back the day after. So we are a day late, so sorry everyone. Um, but we are here every week, whether it's a day late or not. Um, we record each week in Jeff's shed, hence the name Football Shed. Um, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy it, give us a review, subscribe, and tell your mates about it. If you want to get in contact, you can shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on social media, just search Football Shed on Instagram and Facebook. And we appear, and every week we start with a question. Now, this question is about Man City, who played in the morning. And if we had recorded yesterday, we couldn't have had this question. So that's quite exciting. (laughs) (laughs) But Man Man City have scored 68 goals this season in the Premier League. How many have they scored inside the six-yard box? Oh, there we go. I love this question already. Um, well, going on your theory, it's isn't it fifty percent cutback, fifty percent spadging? No, 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 no. no. I'd say seventy-five percent cutback, twenty-five <laughs> percent spadge from distance. Um, so I think forty-six goals in the six-yard box, not the penalty box. Oh, sorry, John. Sorry, John. So the six-yard box. So forty-nine not- goals. <laughs> uh, I still think it'd be a lot. I don't think it'd be that many. Well, how many goals altogether? Was it? Sixty-eight. I reckon maybe a third, 20, 25. 18. They've scored 18 goals out of 68 from inside the six-yard box. In all seriousness, can you that's put that, crazy. It's ridiculous. Can you put that in perspective by telling us what the next highest is, though? Because no, it's not, I have the ones It doesn't that, mean that much in isolation. I, I'm going to guess the next highest is less than 10. I don't, yeah. I'll find out next week. I'll fact-check for you next week. But it's ridiculous about... Really, it's 20% of their goals. It's as, it, I mean, it's not... Franny Jeffers would be... Uh, would be raking the goals. Like thirty-five percent of the goals. Yeah, the it's, it's outrageous. Like it's not unsurprising because we talk about it every week. We talk about the cutback, but I mean it, that's down on paper. That's a real thing. That's not just something that infuriates you. It's a real thing. All three of their goals at the weekend were cutbacks. Yeah, yep. Sergio Aguero hat trick or art hand trick. But and they were they were all inside the six yard box, weren't yep. they? Yep. Yeah, he scored all three from inside. His whole distance from goal was about. Nine yards yeah. for all his goals. It's just outrageous. Um, a Man City are going to win the league now then? Is it all over? Like, we Liverpool were seven points ahead like two weeks ago and we were all talking about, oh, it's all over and Liverpool are going to win it. Man City are top of the league. Well, no, I feel like you two have been very fickle with this. I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been spruiking a two-horse race all year, but most of the year Jeff has been like City Machine, City Machine, City Machine, and then he changed his mind when Liverpool went seven points clear. Now, I, I think it's still a two-horse race. I don't think we can write off Liverpool. I think I, we'll go on to Liverpool, I guess. Yeah. But I, I thought that was a big result for Man City today. This morning to, was huge. Yeah. And the fact that they're now... Um, I think you mentioned this um, in the week, that they're effectively... The next eight weeks, 
or something Man City play first yeah they play before Liverpool I think it's the next five or six games in a row in the Premier League they play before Liverpool every time so every time there's huge pressure on Liverpool now they've got a game in hand but that game um, against Bournemouth at the weekend if they don't go goal up in the first half hour, they're just going to start panicking and the crowd's going to get nervous and then everyone's going to be like, oh no. And then, and I, then... don't, I don't think this is the week though because it's Bournemouth a crap away and it's Eddie Howe and it's Bournemouth and he's not <laughs> he's not going to do what Everton did today, which is try and yeah. you know like limit the team you're playing. It's Bournemouth It'll and Liverpool will win 4-0. Yeah. But you know, this is the... We, for those who listen to The Shed regularly, you will have heard me complain about associating things you see on a football pitch with phantom concepts like fucking bogey teams or using all of your experience you used all of experience to make that run the Wembley curse yeah exactly like all of that you will have heard me bang on for the last three years about how I hate all that however I'm going to do it (laughs) and and you talk about um, Liverpool being flaky or Liverpool not being able to cope with the pressure but that's a that's a conceptual idea. Uh, right? No, no, no. But I I completely disagree in that that's a phantom thing. Like pressure is a real thing, and if there's a team that is you know plays before you and they win, then obviously that. Agree. And so I read a transcript of a um, Gareth Bale interview this week. Have you, have you seen this? No. So he spoke to Adam Lallana after Liverpool lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League. Yeah. And the conversation he had with Adam Lallana was, uh, you know. Good day, mate. <laughs> probably, probably wasn't that. But uh, it is get a better goalkeeper. But to, to paraphrase without, without reading it out, he basically was like, "How were you guys feeling before the game? Were you excited?" And Adam Alana said, "No, none of us could sleep." Yeah, well. And Gareth Bale, in return, was like, "Well, actually, we've been here for the last three years. We slept like like yeah, it's like just another dead, game, dead chickens. Yeah. Yeah. Like, every- <laughs> is that a phrase? Can you, can you, sleep? Yes. you can sleep like a dead chicken. Well, yeah, but you're not going to wake up again." Yeah, but for the sleeping component, that's a success. Yeah. So they yeah. slept like <laughs> they, slept, they slept like dead chickens. Yeah. I'm sure that's not. Maybe it's Welsh. Yeah. Um, but anyway, what he was saying was that you know what he noticed was that a team that are used to success, a team that have had success before, are able to to jump over the hurdles that are being placed in front of Liverpool right now, and a team like Liverpool who are already panicking with 13 games to go. Is it 13? Yeah. A lot of games to go. And Liverpool are already, every point they lose or every game is a cup final. And that means it, they will crumble. Is And the problem is that they have 45,000 people watching who are nervous as all hell at every game. So it's And the length of time since the success. Yes, so it's, it's been 29 years since they've won the league. Yeah. But the <laughs> fact that every home game is going to just be so tense. And it's actually a whole third of the season left to go. Like, there's loads left to go. But because... This rhetoric has started in the media, and everyone's saying all oh, the tension, the nervous is—it's just going to grow and grow and grow. It's true. Now, when we watch, no, we can use the flip side. So, when we watch Leicester win the league, you could say, okay, they're not used to winning anything. However, when you watch Leicester play their home games during that season, every time any Leicester player touched the ball, controlled the ball yeah. successfully, they were applauded, they were cheered, yeah. everything was joyous. They were just on a roll. It yeah. was just brilliant to watch yeah. because the, the whole crowd were not just behind the team, but all of the little things that they did well were being rewarded. And, that was, and they didn't fear losing because, in principle, they should be losing. So every victory was a bonus and they were partying in the streets. And that's the difference. That that wave helped Leicester get there. 
but you already feel you watch a game at Anfield. What was that game in the snow two weeks ago? Uh, Leicester was it Leicester? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the draw. Was it a yeah. draw? Yeah. You could One feel it. There was like you could hear people shouting. Yeah, and you it's can outrageous. Hear, you can hear the internal gasp. Everyone goes. <gasps> oh, oh, Anytime you yes. misplace a pass, yeah. and that permeates to players on the pitch, and and. There's, you almost got to shake them all and just go. Let's snap out of it. There's, there's a quarter of the season to go, more than that. Third, yeah. as you just said, yeah. you just got to fucking get a grip. I, I'm gonna disagree a little bit. Oh, yeah. In that, I think yes, there is that aspect of it, but I think it's being overplayed at the moment. I think it's with the fans, but I certainly think that Klopp would be, you know, he wouldn't shy away from it, and he'd be making his players aware of the history and what have you. But I think that we're also underplaying the situation that Liverpool are in at the moment in terms of their squad depth and the injuries that they've got in that we've talked to last year I would say they were a emotional team and they rode a wave of emotion played amazing football got to the Champions League football but you felt like they were flaky whereas this year we've felt like there's been more steel to Liverpool and they've been more efficient they found different ways to win rather than only winning by playing amazing yeah. football However, the main part of that has been their defence. And recently, they haven't been as good at the back. Now, we know that Joe Gomez was amazing at the start of the year, and he's been out for a while and is going to be out for a while longer. Self-confessed best defender in the world, Lovren, (laughs) who isn't, but is actually okay, has been doing quite well but and he's been injured and ironically, now ironically Lovren's confidence would do the Liverpool, do Liverpool the, team yeah. the world a good right now but so Matip's come in and he's just not as good and he doesn't seem to work quite as well with Van Dijk and if you look at the statistics when Matip plays generally Liverpool don't defend as well and then they've also had the issue in terms of not having any right backs so Alexander Arnold's been out for a few weeks now and I think the other thing that does it takes if Milner's got to play right back it means he can't play in the middle. And I think the biggest injury they've had in the last few weeks, which is, if you would have asked me this at the start of the year, no one would have guessed it, is Gigi Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum. Yeah. He's been so good this year, and Keita has been a bit of a flop. And I I think by not having Milner in the middle and having that steal and not having um, Gigi there, they just haven't had that drive. And it was Keita that lost... Um, yeah, Antonio for, for the, the West Ham. Oh, and that was the you see that, and that was so basic. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, that was like that was like the kind of set piece move that you come up with in the school playground yeah, or like your really school is. team. Like you, Liverpool should have defended that. With Milner playing right back as well, you've got Salah playing in front of him. Now Salah's not played as well as last season, which no one really expected him to. But also Salah does well because usually there's a Alexander Arnold overlapping past him and then playing one twos with him and making something happen. Milner's just not going to do that as well. And there's nothing against Milner, but he's not actually going to make that happen. Um, talking about the squad depth, Liverpool's subs against West Ham versus Man City subs against Arsenal. This is the outfield players. Liverpool had Sturridge, Moreno, Shakiri, Origi, Jones and Camacho. I don't know who even Camacho is. <laughs> or Jones, to be honest. Um, Man City on the bench had Danilo, Stones, Delph, Sane, Mares, and Jesus. So a bunch of fifty million pound players, basically, and that's the difference. Yeah. Like, if you're panicking and you're trying to lose a game, or you need to bring on a defender to cover, they've West um, Liverpool are struggling for players. And I think that is why, if Liverpool are going to lose the league, that's why they'll lose it. Is because their next tier of players 
aren't as good as what Man City have got. But no, no one has the next tier of players as good as Man City. No. It doesn't exist. No. They're, they're the only team that I've ever known that has two teams that are just as good as, yeah. as a first yeah. team. It's about finding balance, and that's what they do so well. We're talking about the West Ham game, because obviously... West Ham were excellent. I've got, yeah. I've got yeah. to say it. Declan Rice was was brilliant. Declan again. Rice was brilliant. Like, should should have scored, but he's, someone's got to sign him up. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's he, a very I mean, very good player. He'd be the perfect Arsenal player. I'm going to yeah. say he's, yeah. he's everything Arsenal's missing, but obviously, so the, but they won't sign him then. Of course, of course like, they won't. It's too, they, obvious. They, too obvious. They never signed that. Yeah. And Arsenal have got their problems. We'll get onto yeah. it in a minute. But um, West Ham were very very good. They out muscled, out fought. They were fluid with their attacking play mm. so they weren't just trying to battering ram they were they were playing little triangles they were like Man United in the 90s they were playing incredibly well they Who's made the sure again? Um, uh, Anderson Anderson was brilliant yeah. um, and they made sure that that Liverpool had to go narrow and then they defended narrow so there, there was there was no way for Liverpool to get through and I've got to say that I'm gonna I'm gonna highlight this now because I want us to talk about this over the next over the coming weeks in the last month or so, I've seen a trend in set pieces. Yeah. So what happened in West Ham set piece? You, if you kind of disregard the way it was passed and the way it was scored, there was a bit of a feint before they kicked it. Yeah. Do you notice that? Yeah. Bit of a feint. Millis, probably two seconds worth yeah. of feint. But within that feint, Liverpool's zonal marking, you know, they play zonal marking yeah. just like Everton. Liverpool's zonal marking moved back, realised it was a feint, tried to move forwards again to get back to where they were because the delivery hadn't been delivered. And in that step back and step forwards, space was created for the free kick. Yeah, now, nice. I have noticed that... Man City did it this morning. Man City goal. did it this morning yeah. against Everton. Wolves did it last week against Everton. It's looking at the way a team is set up to defend and then giving it that, I'm going to click my fingers... <laughs> that amount of time yeah. to faint and get confused. It's like a three-yard pass to a guy who then stops it and then and they then cross does it in. And that's yeah. not about creating an angle because it no. used to be when we used to like kick it to the bloke next. You taking a free kick. It was about creating a different angle, getting around the wall. These free kicks are not free kicks that are, they're not trying to curl it over the wall. They're not trying to create space. They're doing it to disrupt the defense, an organized defensive yeah. unit. Now I've seen it. Oh, four or five times in the last month yeah. and I want you to pay attention to it so when you see it again make a note of it because I feel like this is something that is it's a new way to get round a zonal defence it's a new it's, love train and it's working a treat um, Rod you mentioned a few weeks ago on Liverpool um, the break thing and you talked about Geelong having breaks in the AFL and stuff and they went on their warm weather break and stuff since they've gone on their break they've lost their rhythm do you reckon that that is a factor in it. Also, second point, do you, the Champions League starts again next week um, and Liverpool don't play next week, they play the week after. They play against Bayern. If you're Liverpool, do you just choke in the Champions League? Do you just go, we don't care? Or do you pretend that you do care but really you should just give it up? I, I don't think you can. I think they'll, they'll, they'll feel they can still fight on two fronts. But yeah. I, at the same time, I don't think that Klopp will be resting players in the league. I know that's a massive sitting on the feds answer, but <laughs> I, I think that their their priority is winning the league. Yeah, I think they'll certainly still want it because they'll feel they can beat Bayern and not have completely lost that aura of invincibility. And I think Liverpool will cause them problems. Um, have they lost their rhythm? Yeah, I think that because, ha- like I said, they were in that habit of just winning. Yeah, and and sometimes you you don't want to break that. You don't want to have a break. And then 
you've sort of got to start it again. It's almost like having a loss. Yeah. Because um, so, they, they played every three days, so yes, that's a lot. But if you're just winning, it doesn't really matter. You no. just keep going. And Leicester, when they won the league... Um, I do love the fact that we keep comparing Liverpool to Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> Just Liverpool fans would hate that. But uh, Leicester had the rhythm where they played once a week on Saturday... And they obviously had a routine through the week and got ready for the next team and played them once a week on a Saturday. And they just went through that rhythm. Liverpool were in a rhythm of playing weekend, midweek, midweek, weekend, midweek, and keep going that over and over and just keep winning. So you're almost better to just go, we're going to have to rest players because of injuries and stuff, but we'll keep winning. But now they're kind of lost momentum. So what do you think in terms of, going back to your initial question, in terms of the title race... Liverpool have still got a game in hand and can go three points clear, so it's still advantage Liverpool. Do you see it like that, or do you now see it as Man City as a team? I said at the start of the season Liverpool will win it, and I still think Liverpool will win it because it has to be this year or never ever again. Like it's now <laughs> or never for Liverpool and Klopp, um, and I think they will win it. I just think they've made it a lot harder for themselves in a way. Like everyone's talking about now, it's going to go to the final day and it's going to be a bit like Man City won on goal difference against Man United. Wouldn't that be great if it does? Oh, it would be amazing. But because everyone's talking about it this early that that's going to happen, I'm convinced that's not going to happen. But I do think Liverpool are going to drop back a little bit and I think that will actually ease the pressure on them and it will actually do them good. If they go two or three points behind Man City, then everyone will go, oh, it's Man City's league now. And that's when Liverpool can start sorting themselves out. I agree. Out. I think they'd rather be the chaser than, yeah. the, than the team being chased. Because yeah. there's so much pressure. If you're first, you've just got to win every week. And if you, as soon as you slip up, it goes wrong. I disagree. Good one. You think it's all over and Man City are going to win it? I think it's all over and Man City are going to win you it. You have been saying that most of the year. To be yeah, and, and, I, and I think... I'm starting to, um, as you see a season develop, you see a different form of tactic. Now, now we've talked about the machine a lot, and, and I'm not going to say that Man City have a different form of tactic, but what I'm going to say Man City do to teams that other teams don't do is they exhaust them. They, they pull them apart. And so what? let's look at a team like Chelsea or a team like Liverpool. When they keep possession... Chelsea are a great example. They keep possession, they go left, they go right, and other teams wait for them to try and penetrate. Yeah, Chelsea, can, yeah, Chelsea can have four yeah. times as many passes as the, the opposition, but the opposition can remain focused, remain organised, structured, and wait for Chelsea to either do something or don't. But Man City do it so quickly, and there are so many uh, areas and zones on the pitch where they can go forwards, backwards, sideways, that they're constantly pulling players out of position to defend against these these danger areas. By doing that, they exhaust teams. Now, when they're a team that keeps the ball and exhausts the opponent and has a second 11 that can come in with fresh legs, they, they could just complete the A-B it. As we get to the latter stages of the season, you talk about the Champions League, you talk about the mental fatigue of getting to cup semi-finals, cup finals and the domestic competitions. That mental fatigue plus the physical fatigue of facing Man City, there will be few teams who are able to turn them over the way that they were over the Christmas period. I think that's a really good point, Jeff. And I think you, you, you actually saw that this morning with, um, you know, it was a tough game. Like Everton, 
Silver changed the formation this morning. Um, he, you know, has been a lot of pressure on Everton, and you sort of got the impression that he came with his attitude first of I don't want to lose this game easily. Let's yeah. set up and be solid, and yeah. they were, and they were difficult they were to break yeah. down. And I mean, it was a, you know, it was a header from the big centre back that broke yeah. the deadlock, and you know, it was a dead ball, a dead surprise, ball that everyone can't defend. But, <laughs> a set piece with a little feint. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. the the thing that I noticed that to just go, go back to your point, which is that. The killer moment in this game was, you know, Everton was still in. There was a lot of it added time, but then Man City got the second goal, game over. De Bruyne has come off the bench. Suddenly there's a little bit more space, spots up a beautiful pass, passes it through to Jesus, who's also come off the bench, 2-0. And and that space wouldn't have been there if they hadn't, for the last 80 minutes, have been just, you know, 70% possession pulling Everton all over the place it's exactly right and you feel like you're comfortable and this is what happens in Man City is you feel like you're comfortable now both of the goals against Everton happened in stoppage time stoppage yeah. time of the first half stoppage time of the second half they were the last kick of the game on, on both yeah. halves sign of a champion team it is but it's a sign of a team that has just run the opponent ragged now yeah. even if you put in a display that you, you're proud of you know I, I as an Everton fan lost 2-0 but actually I'm going away from that game much much more enthused than yeah. I'm going away from the usual Everton game because, you know, they did you proud and all, yeah. of, all of that shit. But actually, you, you put in all of that and the last second because they've just run you ragged and there's a point where you look at the clock and you're like, how much stoppage time? Oh shit, they've scored. Yeah, there's that mental exhaustion of just in your brain going, oh, there's only two minutes left, but that's when you lose concentration. And, and that's why... I see Liverpool dropping points, but I see Man City playing against teams who have come to a level where that mental exhaustion will, will run them down and Man City have fresh legs. Let's move off the title race. Um, now, bit of a different question, bit of a wider question, but open it up to the floor. How long should a manager be in charge to change a team? Now, the reason I'm asking this is we look, we've talked about Sarri recently and we talked last week about progress and how you make progress as a team in the Everton Cup. Um, but if you've got Emery at Arsenal, who's a bit under pressure, they've dropped down to six. Sari is having a bit of a hiccup time. Marco Silva at Everton's having a bit of a hiccup time. How long should a team, a manager, have to transform a team? And when you look at Pep at Man City, everyone forgets that they were basically a bit crap in the first year. They came fourth and they scraped fourth, mm. and every pundit in the country was going. Oh, he just only has one way of playing. Oh, he only has one way of playing. He's got to play long balls. He's been, he's been found out in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but and everyone jumped on. But isn't that. it amazing that he could do that in a season? Like when you think yeah. of how much is involved in Pep's way of playing, I do. You have to take your hat off to the man that he can implement that in one. But year. then on that, what's my point? Is that Sarri, Emery, Silver, well, Silver less so, but Emery and Sarri no have time. the. Uh, they have a CV of showing that they can do that and it takes them time So, but everyone gets in a panic and says they need to leave and they need to go Klopp finished 8th in his first season like, didn't Silver win the league undefeated in, in Greece in Olympiakos, mm. Olympiakos yeah. I know that it's a bit of a monkey but you know he obviously knows what he's doing yeah. he wouldn't be in the jobs he's in without knowing what he's doing so after 5-6 months should these people be under pressure? No, I mean I I'm, come back to your point with, with Silver and Everton in particular I think you have to look at it rationally and be Everton a ninth. Yeah. You know? And they're, what's the best that they ever can probably have hoped for? Seventh. They're a few points off that. You know, I, yeah. I 
don't throw it. I think and and there's talk of with Everton that they sat down at the start of the year. I was reading this this week. So it's when Marcel Brand came in um, and Silva and sat down with with Ken Wright and Moshiri. And essentially, there's been uh, they've decided to shift the philosophy away from spending lots of money on you know Saint Tossen and the Walcotts of the yeah. world and try and implement youth. And what I hope that is showing is that they're supporting silver for the long term the, the long term and yeah. and I mean I the way, the one I always look at with this is that Ferguson is the greatest manager in Premier League history yeah. right now he didn't make Man United good overnight Man United were crap initially when he mm. came in. Like, he didn't win anything for his first six years. Six years. Now, obviously, in today's climate, it's not going to happen. You are not going to get six years. But that is what you should be looking at. That 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 you have to you have to give them, a, particularly for someone like you go to Sarri. Yeah. Sarri has a very distinct way of playing. If you are getting Sarri in as a coach, you can't have that as a short term plan because he's not going to have the players well, there. That's players why, football. The reason I ask this question is because I have my own answer for it. <laughs> Um, but my, I think my theory is that you need, you should be allowed four transfer windows. Now that means if you get hired right at the end of the transfer window, like Sarri, I don't believe he's had a transfer window yet, apart from the January one. So he's not got his players. Yeah. So he should be allowed four transfer windows. Because say on average you sign three players, four windows. That's twelve players. That's a team. So after four windows, you should have a first team that is completely your team and you should be playing in a way that is your style of football and you should be making progress. If at that point you're not making progress, then fine. They they don't have a director of football either, so not even that. Uh, A couple of things. So firstly, I'm going to move off Everton, but I I did read some quotes this week that that concur with what you say. So... um, uh, Mishuri said, uh, you know, this Everton, it's a project. Everton fans quite rightly demand young football. We want young players to develop. They need to play. Marco Silva is a talented coach, but he's planning long term. He will coach and develop those young players every year so the same young players will become stronger. In this business, you have to hold your nerve. So if I read that from my owner, I that would make me feel good. And that would make me feel invested in my football club because he's thinking about a long-term plan and it's not knee-jerk. Now, when it comes to teams like Arsenal, so Emery and Sarri, what you're saying about four transfer windows, I, I kind of, I'm on board with idealistically, yeah. but the logistics that sit behind it. So Emery, right now, can't do anything. He's got, yeah. and I say that uh, with context. So he's got transfer windows, can't do anything he's in got them no money. because he's sitting sitting there with Mkhitaryan and Ozil, whose wages are three hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand pounds a week, and he's sitting in sixth in the Premier League. Yeah. If he doesn't get to the Champions League by next year, the financial fair play will be banging on his door, going, "Your outlays in wage bill is more than you are allowed to through legislation." So he has inherited. A Champions League club that's struggling. Yeah. Now the structure that sits behind that Champions League club is very expensive. So, so to have a Bemiang signed before uh, yeah. before Emery uh, on a lot of money, yeah. it's the wages that that hamstring a, a side like that. So I think that give him another transfer window, he's still fucked unless he can get rid of those players. But then who do you attract? To get you to the next step when you can't actually pay what you've paid Ozil or paid Bemiang or, or paid Mikatarian. Yeah. So it, it's giving the manager time, but then also letting them go through the cycle of what they've been left. And yeah. that's different for every club. 
And I think that's why I say you need like four transfer windows as an example, because you need that time to f- sift out players. Like, I think it's fascinating that Fellaini's left Man United right now. And I'm not saying it's because Fellaini left that Man United are good. But Fellaini has been at Man United by accident since the start. Moyes brought him in a panic. Um, and then no manager has been there long enough to actually go, I'm going to implement my thing and implement my way of playing. So I'll just use Fellaini as my backup option. And so he keeps getting given a contract because he's like, well, he keeps playing 20 games a season, scoring five goals, and he's an awkward player. And he's a he's the epitome of what was wrong mm-hmm. at Man United. Not because he's a bad player or such, but he was just holding on because managers were panicking and not knowing what to do. And he's a good panic backup option. The fact he's gone means that Man United have moved on. And I think managers need that time to go, I just don't need you in my team. I need this Agreed. Team. Now, if you can... I, I, I'll challenge you right now to name me a coach or a manager, or however you yeah. want to call them, that you completely respect who's come in, won something straight away, and fucked off. Uh, won something... Di Matteo? No, Di- he didn't fuck off. He got fired. He, yeah, he got, he got the sack. Um, what was the guy... Because he didn't come in at Chelsea win the FA Cup... He was interim manager. He had six months won the FA Cup. Yeah. Um, Twice he was interim manager. Ancelotti came in, won the league and cup double and then left the year after but he was kind of fired. Uh, Zinedine Zidane. What, at Real Madrid? (laughs) Oh yeah, he's the only one probably. (laughs) However, he was promoted, he went from player to youth team coach to manager. He he was embedded in that system and only a few people know that system better than Zinedine Zidane. Mm. I say that because the coaches that you can reel off that you do respect that have had glittering careers are coaches that have stayed at a club for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that we talk about, like Chris Hewton, for example, yeah. that we say deserves time, deserves more credit than he gets. It's because he stayed at Brighton for a long time. He stayed at Newcastle when they got relegated and yeah. got back up again. They're the managers that you look at and you go, you are good at your job. You know how to manage multiple varieties of situation that have been presented to you and you've coped with it. Yeah. They're the ones that deserve the chance. But then we see this this conveyor belt at the top end. Can you say that after his stint at Chelsea, you respect Conte? No, I, I quite like him as a coach, but I would I would never want him as Man United coach. That's exactly the reason. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would never want him as Man United. Now, intense, would you sorry. would you want would you prefer Conte or Chris Hewton? If I had to pick between the two, I'd take Hewton. And obviously, if you have to, neither yeah, one of them are yeah. ideal yeah. candidates for the Man United <laughs> job. But the point lies in the yeah. in in the who do you respect? Who who will take most care of your club? Who will make progress in the long term? Who will develop youth in a better way? Conte had no incentive to develop youth. But is Why that on the manager? Is that how much here are we putting on the manager or the coach? When today, it's it's more than that. You know, you've got the director of football, and you've and the and you've got the owners. Like I think it's more about the structure and and the planning you know from top down and the manager's just a part of that I don't think they are a part of it but they have to lead that and I think that's what Klopp's done at Liverpool is he's led that belief he's got uh, a yeah with the support of the owners yeah and they came 8th 4th 4th and now they might win the league now 8th 4th 4th isn't that special, really, when you're thinking about you should be winning the league. When you spend as much money as they do, too. Yeah, yeah. but to come 8th, 4th, 4th, if you're Man United manager, you probably get fired. Chelsea, probably get fired. Spurs, you probably do all right, but Arsenal might get fired. Like, that's 8th, 4th, 4th isn't that special, but Klopp managed to make 
the whole world, but specifically the fans and the club, believe in his idea and his ethic, and everyone got. But that's him. what he does. Like and Je- you've j- talked about him being a, a fraud before, or um, <laughs> you know, because because he has, and you say that because he has this this innate ability to to get people to believe in his ideas. Like we all love him on the yeah. shed. Because the, the world is wrapped around his little finger, yeah. and that. But that's what I think a manager should do, and that's why I say yeah. when you should have a structure behind him that brings in players and stuff, and that's fine. But the manager should be the figurehead of this is the direction of the club's going. This I, is how I we completely play agree with you. Yeah. So, so when, you, so who did you list in the first place? Emery, Sarri, and Silva. They're the ones having problems that I think should have more time. Sarri will not be given more than this year at Chelsea. I, you, I. But think see, he I might. find that bizarre because why appoint Sarri then? Why appoint a coach? Now, I, I think this is also a criticism, of Sarri. I think if you're a good coach, you can coach more than one way. You can mm-hmm. have a way of playing, but you also have to look at the tools you've got and work out what but the best But that's what everyone said about Pep in the first year. True. But I just think if you're putting Sarri in, he is like Pep. He only has one way, so you need to let him let him do that and support him. Otherwise, don't give him a job. I, I don't. I mean, I'm just going to lay on the table and say I don't think he's going to last the summer. Mm. So I you just, think he's gone? I think he's gone. I, I think he's gone because even if they make Champions League, he has had uh, an accelerated soap opera of a Chelsea manager career. He started the season unbeaten. He was he was the most amazing coach they'd ever seen. Jorginho broke all of these records. It was amazing. A few little stumbles, having a, a, a wobbly patch. Then some really terrible results. Then some belligerent uh, interviews with the media. Then some poor relations with his players. <laughs> then playing players out of position. Then a whole January's worth of argument with one of the most exciting youth prospects in the club, yeah. only to be unresolved in February. <laughs> but they have just smashed Huddersfield and Higuain scored two and Hazard scored two. And then but... signing the old pro to try and get yourself out of trouble. Yeah. Like he is, he's and, 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 and Hazard's gone. Like I think, do we yeah. all agree on that? Like he, he That came out in the last couple of days that he's decided on his future and I have a strong suspicion that that future is Real Madrid. I agree. So this, this bloke, Sarri, has had a three-year Mourinho career in six months. Yeah, um, I, I agree. But he's also, going back to my original point, he's not had a summer transfer window. He had no pre-season. And he hasn't had a director of football. We talked about this last week. No. Like he hasn't. Chelsea have not had a structured transfer strategy in the entire time that he's been there. And I, I want them to stick with him. I, I, Napoli, for the last three years when Sarri was there, played some of the best football in Europe. Some Two of the best football games I watched last year were the Man City-Napoli Napoli games. And I think if they gave him time, he, you know, he, he can get his way to work, but you've got to back him in. But he's not going to. What about Emery? Do you think Emery's, Emery's on the chopping block? No. I think Arsenal are in a position where Wenger, Wenger, I can't even Wenger was there for so long that it's gonna, they realise it's going to take so long to rectify. And anything's better than the last, like, yeah, the, the slow death of arson. Like it's, and I think the club know that they're hamstrung by money and there's stuff going on in the background. I don't think they can be bothered with firing the manager. It just makes sense for them to just stick with him and give him two years and see where. So, they're at. so then, are we if are Arsenal on the verge of another Shamak era? Era. <laughs> Do you know what um, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, because because if they can't afford like. What I said about the wages, that's true. They couldn't sign any players in January if they were on loan for exactly those reasons. So 
are they, and those contracts aren't running out in the summer. They've got eighteen months left on them. Some of them. So so are they due for another bunch of? Spade to come in and, and, and well, I only have one candidate that's getting fourth spot at the moment, and it's not Chelsea and it's not Arsenal. Yeah, it's Man United. It's Man United. But I had Arsenal getting in the top four at the start of the season, and the reason I had them getting in the top four is because they have Lacazette and Abemia, and no like, Champions League. Those two having are just brilliant. So I think they've got enough quality in their side that if Emery can just get two or three players in. Preferably a centre back or three, um, <laughs> maybe one or two that he likes in midfield, and he gets Ramsey off the wage bill or whatever, and brings one or two in. I think they could be in a position next year once they've started working out how he plays a bit more that they could do all right. How does he play? He plays pressing, so he's well, a sim- I don't really know what his. Yeah, he's what his similar to a Klopp, but less exciting. Do you think that managers should have minimum term contracts? I like that idea, but they'd never get it. No clubs would offer it. So if if you, ever, so if it was just set as a Premier League rule, I'm thinking off the cuff here, yeah. that you had to be there for at least till the end of the season. So no managers are allowed to be sacked until the end of the season. It's never going to happen. Well, no, no of course no, not. No, no, it doesn't have to happen, Roger. <laughs> not changing the rules here. So do you think football would be in a better place if that was the case? I think so. Yeah, I, I think there'd be less volatility, and you know. It, I think generally teams that stick with their managers do better. Yeah, and I think if like one of the examples of positivity that I've written down here is Sean Dyche. Now Sean Dyche is a whingy, gravelly-voiced weirdo um, and plays pretty crappy football. But what he's done at Burnley, Bristol City legend, <laughs> what he's done at Burnley is impressive. He's got them promoted, got them relegated. They've not panicked. They've gone to stay there. He's got them promoted. He got them into Europe, which is ridiculous. They with crap players, yeah, and they started <laughs> badly this year. But now they're slowly finding a bit of form and getting it back together. And there's been no panic in it at all at any point. He's just stuck to his guns and gone. I know how to win football games. Same with David Moyes at Everton had a job for life. Yeah. He really did, even though he finished seventeenth one year and fourth another year. Like he had a job for life because of that. Yeah. But then I look at the effect that the managerial male sorry I know we're banging on about this one for a while but I think it's an important conversation I think the effect that has on the players is often um, is often underestimated so I look at uh, Fabregas who just signed for Monaco he signed for Monaco because he wanted to play under Thierry Henry like he's the bloke who knew him who signed him and then a week later Thierry Henry gets a sack and this bloke's found himself in the south of France going well shit yeah. I mean, obviously, know? he's making a lot of money tax-free, but <laughs> like, it, it's hard on the player. It's not confined to the Premier League either. Mm. Do you know that uh, the uh, Lee Johnson, who's a Bristol City manager, yeah. is now the second longest-serving coach in the Championship? Wow! After Neil Harris at Millwall, he's only been a manager for three years. That's crazy. like that, and that's you know that you sort of feel like if you drop down a division that maybe there would be more stability, but it's not. It's just it's football in general. It's not it's not confined to the Premier League bubble. There's yeah. just so much pressure, and I think that inevitably it's the manager who you can't get rid of the players that easily, you, you know. And if you so generally, if you think as a club and the owners want to change something, it's always the manager that cops it. That's it, and, and players like Troy Deeney at Watford. Troy played under six managers or something at Watford. 
and he's been Watford captain for all of them, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. what's the constant that makes Watford play the way Watford play? It's probably more Troy Deeney than it is yeah, their the manager. Coach. Because yeah. I tell you, Troy Deeney's not changed from manager number one to manager number six. Um, we should move on. Um, quickly wanted to touch on the relegation battle because um, Cardiff and Palace won. Um, you picked the Cardiff win too, didn't I you? I did pick the Cardiff win. My bet was that it would be over two and a half goals. So oh. one goal off, which is a shame. Palace beat Fulham. Um, Burnley and Saints drew, but Brighton are getting sucked in. Brighton has sat in thirteenth mm. on twenty-seven points. They're actually only five points away from safety now. There's and always someone that gets sucked in. Yeah, and I feel like they're just having just said how good Chris Hutton is. They seem to be slowly sleepwalking down the league. Limited were, resources, though. Yeah. What do you mean limited resources? They're two places. They're Brighton and Hove. <laughs> I don't think and, and Albion. I think it's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be too. Imagine if it was Everton and Liverpool. <laughs> like it's cheating. No, I. But I think we're now at a point where it's Fulham and Huddersfield are probably down, and then it's one of thirteenth to seventeenth. Yeah. Not to eighteenth, sorry. Cardiff are in there. And Brighton play Burnley this weekend, which I think is a huge game. Because if Burnley win that, they're up onto level points with Brighton, and Brighton are right stuck back in it. Do you know so um Aaron Moy is back for Huddersfield and yes. watching the uh one nil bore fest between Everton and Huddersfield extensively as I did, yeah. Aaron Moy made all the difference when he got back on the pitch and Wagner, I think we discussed this, Wagner left having had the worst period as a manager and at the same time that Aaron Moy was injured yeah. the whole whole time. Watching the difference he makes to that side, knowing that he has come back to full fitness and he's playing Look, I know that they are marooned. They are, what, 12 points from safety. But I don't expect there to be that much of a gap. There's not going to be a 12-point gap by the end of the season. And Four wins is a lot. Though, it is a lot. Don't get me wrong. They're going to go down. But I don't think it's going to be as extreme as it is now. We're not looking at a Derby County from 2006 or whatever it is. Which was 12 points, was it? In total. Yeah. And I think what highlights that is when I was looking at my bet this week, Huddersfield are only playing 550 to beat Arsenal. Yeah. Wow. So I'm not the only one who looks at that and goes, "Oh, okay." Yeah. It was a what they they failed so badly in a period where it made that much of a difference to them. But before Moy was injured and after Moy's injured, they're not as bad a team. They're really look. reliant on Moy. He he gives them that bit of quality. And I actually I think that it's sort of like Huddersfield. You know, did they stick or twist in the in January and they decided to to stick? And they'll probably go down. You can see why they made that decision. But at the same time, I, I actually, having seen them a bit this year, a lot of the football they've played has been quite good. They just haven't had that cutting edge. Yeah, they just haven't, they got just haven't been able to score goals. Yeah. No. Put money on it right now. Aaron Moy to Everton next year. Yeah, do you reckon? I'm convinced. I don't know why, I'm just convinced. I think you might be right. Um, talking of Aaron Moy being a player to watch. Um, I wanted to mention Harvey Barnes. If you've not heard about Harvey Barnes, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I can't yeah. remember now. But he's at Leicester. Um, and so they played Man United at the weekend. And he was on loan at West Brom in the Championship and did really well. And he's 19, English guy. And he's just come back in January. And he's playing... He yeah, rec- recalled from loan because he was doing so well at yeah. West Brom. Yeah. And he's playing ahead of um, Damari Gray or Mark Albrighton. Or he's played ahead of James Madison a couple of times. And he looks brilliant. Really, really good. So where's he play? Centre mid? He plays uh, number 10 or one of the attacking or wide, wide yeah. players. He's quick, tricky, clever. 
Really, really good. English kid? English kid. Yeah, I saw a bit of him in the championship and he, he does look really good. And I just, I like that, that, you know, this is what we want to see with the loan system. That someone no. goes out on loan to a championship club, does well, and then it's like, this kid's good. It will bring him back and, it'll, and, and it will play. Yeah. Um, on one to watch as well, uh, maybe it doesn't quite classify, but I watched a little bit of um, Barcelona and Madrid this morning. Yeah. Um, you heard of a guy called Messi? Oh, no, I, no. I hear Gareth Bale. <laughs> Vivicius Junior. Oh yeah, the new young now guy. is the Real Madrid whiz kid. Yeah, uh, he this guy is going to be the new superstar. Yeah, he really. is going to be the new absolute, you know, megastar. Megastar. Like he, he's still only eighteen. Yeah. Um, they bought him for thirty odd million or something, um, but he's sort of he's played about ten games in a row now or something, and he's you know his first choice, mm. and he looks brilliant, does it all, um, and I think he'll you'll hear a lot more. Of yeah. How the world has changed! Do you remember when Thomas Graveson played for Real Madrid? <laughs> <laughs> Steve McManaman. McManaman. was great. Oh, you're not going to say that about Tommy no, Graveson. you can't really <laughs> remember the same. Do you know? So they... I just loved it when you had Carsley and Graveson playing at the same time. There's two bold heads running yeah. around together. Do you know Graveson is a millionaire now, like a multi-millionaire from he... football? No, 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 a post football. So he lives in Vegas and he's a property mogul in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh wow. wow, it's true. And he has got like a model wife that's about 26 years old and he essentially just lives this like stretched limmer hummer (laughs) hummer dream in Las Vegas look it up if anyone doesn't know who Tommy Gravison was played for Everton did he play for Birmingham as well and and who did Everton sign him from and then then he played for Real Madrid for six months you wouldn't you Um, wouldn't argue with him that's for sure and Now this bloke is living legend. Don't look up his highlights reel on YouTube. <laughs> there are not many highlights. Um, Raj, did you want to do a championship update? Oh, just a very brief one. So something a bit. Um, I went down a rabbit hole and it was a bit made me a bit sad. Um, we've talked about Sunderland a bit lately. Um, now, unfortunately, I think um, Swansea are going to be the next Sunderland. Um, in the so they played uh, Bristol City at the weekend, yeah. which is what got me onto it. Um, and Bristol City won. Are Bristol City in the playoffs now. Uh, they are, yeah, mm. seven in a row. Don't choke, so they, don't choke. But um, immediately after the game, Hugh Jenkins, who's their director, um, resigned. Yeah, and he's been there since two thousand two. So he's effectively been at Swansea for the whole time of them coming up to the Premier League being good you know probably peaked about what seventh or something under yeah. Monk um, Martinez was there and they have the Spanish striker Michu Michu yeah who's also a Pokemon I used to love Michu yeah, he's yeah. Good. it was good for one year yeah, one year wasn't it amazing um, so he he resigned now he's been copying a lot of shit lately from the fans um, because he's basically been there for the entire time the club was bought a few years ago by some Americans called Steve Kaplan and J- Jason Levine um, now, when Swansea got relegated, so these are the guys. If you remember when they came in, they bought in Bob Bradley. I remember, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Their, the their, the their plan, the and yeah. then since then, things have kind of gone wrong. Uh, they then bought in Clement. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, and obviously, that didn't go well. And then they've got relegated. And don't they have um, what's his name now from Ostersons? Ostersons. So now, so this, this, there's two parts of my story. The positive part is Graham Potter. Graham Potter mm. is doing a brilliant job. So before 
um, they lost to Bristol City. They hadn't they won hadn't lost in seven. Yeah. Swansea hadn't lost in seven, and they're in and around the playoffs. And he's kept them up there. Whilst at the same time, there is an atmosphere at the club that is essentially what was happening at Sunderland. In that yeah, they, okay. these owners of the club are asset stripping. Yeah. Now it came to a head in the January transfer window, in that Swansea, no one in. They've got a fairly threadbare squad as it is. They're out. Wilfred Boney has gone on loan to Qatar or something. Yeah. Um, Jefferson Montero's gone on loan to uh, West Brom. Um, the big one, which just came literally in the last few minutes of the transfer window, Tom Carroll's gone to Aston Villa. So these really good. These, and they're going to rivals. These are, are their star players going to direct rivals. Daniel James, who's their young rising star, was going to go to Leeds. Now, the deal fell through at the last minute purely because Leeds, there was a disagreement in that Swansea wanted the loan payment up front. Yeah, wow, so they just want the money. They, they want the money, and when that didn't happen, he stayed. So that was the only positive, yeah. and Leroy Fur was going to go and stayed. Now, these are their, essentially their six best players, and they were all going to go. Wowzers. And so... There's Swansea, they're just being stripped. And so I just have a horrible feeling. The one person who's holding it together at the moment and is like, I just looked on a few fan forums and they all love Potter. Like yeah. he's doing amazing. And I think what will happen is Swansea, unfortunately, will crumble. Will crumble, but someone else will pick up Graham Potter and I think he's going to be a really good manager. It's a shame. They are a club that don't deserve what's happening to them. Yeah. And you know you we talk we talk about it all the time, clubs paying their dues, going down, <laughs> deserving it, kind of having a uh pray, ten years found Jesus moment, becoming good again and coming back up again. Yeah. Swansea didn't deserve to go down, they were poorly managed and they don't deserve their their the football club is run was run incredibly well. It was a family club. They had support a supporters investment. So supporters owned shares in the club and had a say on how it was run. Yeah. And they had a Swansea way of playing football. Mm. And everything changed and they were the model everyone was looking yeah. at them going it's the way to do it and exactly Martinez right. played there and then he went on to be their coach same with um, uh, Monk uh, Gary Monk, Monk. Yeah. Yeah. And, but actually I think it was sacking Gary Monk that was the turning point because Gary Monk was doing a good job he was in the Everton Cup you know, yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. and Swansea were right there and he was doing a good job and sacking him everything changed yeah. unfortunately I think we're only midway in their nosedive at the moment the plane is still crashing unfortunately for Swansea yeah I have a feeling there's a way to go yet um, let's go on to some side stories one I wanted to mention is Hakim Al-Arabi now if anyone's not heard you probably will have by now is um, Hakim is a semi-professional footballer who plays for, actually plays for Pasco Vale here in Australia and we're recording in Pasco Vale um, so very local um, but he has been arrested in Thailand um, under and Bahrain wants to deport him back to Bahrain and arrest him for a crime he apparently committed whilst playing in a televised football match somewhere else. Do you want me to give you a, a, what a, did a breakdown? Yeah. So um, there was there was uprest, up up an uprising unrest in Bahrain mm-hmm. and those who were actively um, talking ill of the government were accused of what's it was. You know what's what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Not no. blasphemy. <laughs> uh, you know when you yeah, Guy Fawkes tried to blow down plotting, the, uh, plotting. You know traitors, traitors. Yeah, yeah. yeah, anyone, anyone who was act- and he got some social media posts and whatever of of being having an opinion about his government. 
So the government um, put out an arrest warrant for him to, and accused him of being in a place inciting violence at the same time as he was playing an international game of football for Bahrain on the telly. Yeah. So he couldn't have been <laughs> where they said he was. So he fled as a refugee and he was accepted into Australia five years ago, given refugee status, played semi-professional football for Pasco Vale, married... Uh, an Australian lady, I'm not sure. yeah, I think um, so. and got international clearance to go on a honeymoon to Thailand. To Thailand, so got married, went on his honeymoon. As he arrived Jesus. in Thailand, he was arrested and shackled and put in a Thai prison under duress from Bahrain to get this bloke back to be tried for the crime that he wasn't even in that attendance. Is horrendous. For. So the international footballing community are, are obviously pushing harder and harder to have this be yeah. acknowledged and be known. But FIFA are taking a step backwards. So FIFA are saying, you know, this is a this is a federation problem. It's, it's not, not a FIFA problem. To do with football, yeah, nothing to do with us. And uh, but what what's disgrace. great is the Australian football. Fed- I say what's great. This thing isn't over yet. Mm. I think on Monday this week, his prison sentence was extended for ninety days, sixty days, yeah. sixty days, so that they can actually send him to trial. To see whether he should be extradited to Bahrain. And the, Thailand has a very sketchy record with recognising refugees. Mm. So it will always, or at least has traditionally, lent on the, the, the natural residence side of yeah. the argument. Yeah. Whether there's a, a genuine reason or not for you not to be They're in your home country. They're yeah. pretty Exactly right. So this bloke, there's, there's photos of him this week in handcuffs. Yeah. And his poor wife, she's come back to Australia. And he's there on honeymoon. Like, as he arrived on honeymoon. But yeah, so there's a huge movement. Craig Foster um, has been leading the movement of SBS um, and has been lobbying governments and gone to FIFA and trying to get people involved and stuff. Um, it was the Asian Cup final last week, which Qatar won. The head of the Asian FA is a Bahraini man. Um, and he was asked about the scenario whatever it is he just basically just flat batted and was just like nothing to do with me don't care about it don't care and he could just turn around and go yeah let him go um, and it's just a bit gross so there's lots of petitions out there there's um, Pascal VOFC have done a um, protest in Fed Square last week I think they might be doing another one so and there's there's um, there's kind of free hacking posters rocking up yeah. all over Europe yeah. like all over football games that, that you will see on the telly this puts them into context because this is rightly so a very disgraceful situation. It is, and there's more. I think we've got a World Cup coming up in the Middle East in Qatar, and we've talked about it previously as to you know, how we felt about a country with a, a fairly questionable human rights record um, being given a World Cup in a region with a fairly questionable human rights record. And I think when stuff like this happens, it just it all those questions come to the surface again. Yeah, and I just and so I think they should be looking at that wider picture, and I mean I just think it's a disgrace. It's it's horrible. Like you said, Jeff, the positive is that the football world is rallying round, and it's nice to see the football world go. No, we're getting behind this, and we're not just going to sit by. But FIFA aren't, which is just gross. But the people that run the whole thing are just stepping back, which is horrible. And then it also, yeah, I look kind of with my head in my hands and think. It's great the football world's going on like this. It's great that we know this story. It's great that 
we can get behind it. I'm not like we in our podcast mm. can't make much of a difference, but if mm. anyone hears it and that's a good yeah. thing. But how many of these things happen that we've got no idea about? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. and, and so it's great that there's a poster up when you go see a West Ham game. Great. Yeah. That's brilliant. Free Hakeem. Yeah. But in all honesty, this stuff probably happens every day all over mm, the world. Yes. And the, and that in itself is, is disgraceful. Yeah. Um, so basically, we hope Hakeem's scenario gets sorted out soon. Um, does anyone have any more side stories before we go on to end feature? Yeah, it was the um, Super Bowl this week. Did anyone give a shit about the Super Bowl? I watched it a little bit and it was the dullest thing I've watched since... A long Since time. Since the last time you watched an American sport? <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> so I felt the same, John. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think anyone could quite sum it up with the articulation of Mr. Wayne Rooney. Well, American resident now. Wayne American Rooney. resident living in DC, Wayne Rooney, who obviously was experiencing his first Super Bowl. Yeah. As So Wayne Rooney tweeted, trying to watch the Super Bowl final... How do they call this football? Like watching paint dry. Looking forward to adverts and music. <laughs> Tweet number two. See more guys in the studio than players at the Super Bowl. Zzz, zzz, hurry up. <laughs> last one is can't wait for at least for the can't wait for the last eight seconds to get played in this Super Bowl. Just blow the whistle. <laughs> so true. I'm with you, Wayne. But one thing I did want to highlight from a football perspective is that the Super Bowl was played at Atlanta Stadium, right? Yeah. So the Mercedes Benz Stadium, we bang on that. How yeah. great that stadium is. It's amazing. The MLS final was played two months ago at the Mercedes Benz Stadium. Yeah. The MLS final had 73,000 people, the Super Bowl had 70,000 people. So wow. it didn't sell out. How does the Super Bowl not sell? Well, they might have had less different seats or whatever. It's a different configuration, the sponsorship and whatever. But however, what an incredible feat for US soccer that is. To be at equal. Not equal, beat. There were more people at the MLS final than there were at the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying it's bigger than the Super Bowl. What I'm saying is what an incredible milestone for US football. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I've got one other size story. Just because we've been watching uh, Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix this year. Um, Josh Madger, who's a striker that pops up in that has left Sunderland and signed for Bordeaux in Ligue 1 in the French division. And they're like sixth in the league. So good on him. There was talk of him going to Crystal Palace and somewhere in the Premier he's League. He's been doing really well this year. So I, he's, he's Sunderland's top goal scorer. He's the young kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's the one that when they lost all their players, he came in and started doing well. And then when they went down, he's now been their star player this year and you know, and them trying to fight back to the championship. Do you think that Bordeaux will have watched Sunderland till I die? Yes. Maybe. I yeah. guarantee that that's exactly what they did. Because what a character reference that is to see that little kid. Because yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, he's a good one. He's yeah. a good egg. He stayed. He's fighting then, for his place. And then place. they've gone, oh, how's he doing? Oh, he's top scorer in League One. Yeah, yeah. we'll have him. Yeah, we'll take him. We yeah. can probably have him for a mil. That's why I can't. Who's that bloke in Sunderland till who left after this season? Who looked like Lewis Graben. Grabbing, yeah, because you no one would sign Grabbing now. No, what, exactly. a, what a prick! Oh, he's still in the championship. Yeah, but he's yeah. not going anywhere. You know that's yeah. ruined him. I reckon. Yeah, everyone's just like, oh, I don't like his. Attitude. And rightly so. Yeah, he was a prick. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Jeff, have you got a uh, end feature song for oh, us? Yeah, sorry, no, you're right. Sorry, sorry, everyone. The one guitar player. Go on. Oh, good one. It's a new one. Yeah, it's modern. 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 It's like hip hop. Is that like hip hop? Is that what hip hop is? I think so. Oh. I only just learned what Snapchat was. <laughs> Do you know on Snapchat? Are you on Snapchat? No, no, Roger. But you know on Snapchat, your things disappear. 
Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. So like, you send someone something mm. and it disappears. Even yeah. I knew that. Yeah. But I was like, well, how do you know what happened? Well, you just look at it right when it happened. But I don't, but I don't you, see the point of it, yeah. What if you miss it? Yeah. Well, you, didn't, you don't get to see it. No, but then... But what What if it's something good? Well, then you, the, the moment's gone. You've got to live in the moment, Jeff. You've lost it. I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Are you also sick of the fact that we all lost our end feature bets last week? Yeah. Um, I think last week was probably our poorest week in that, a while. That I, was your best segue of the night, though, John. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Um, I was close I just needed an extra goal on the Cardiff game but apart from that we did pretty awfully Um, so what are we going to do this week to rectify it got a good bet this week you say that every week a good good solid bet faith come on I'm going to say it and then Roger's going to go oh I I like that bet and then I'm going to lose again (laughs) are you ready I think West Ham are going to beat Crystal Palace West Ham are going to beat Crystal Palace okay I also think Burnley are going to beat Brighton yep okay that is paying $13.50 Wow, that's uh, that's a huge bet. Go on then, Rog. No, no, are you going to tell me it's a good bet? Oh, well, yeah, I quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one of those legs too. Um, now, you know when you go out for a few drinks or something and yeah. you do something that at the time seems great and then you wake up at the next morning uh, and you realise that maybe it wasn't so great or perhaps you look at something and you realise it wasn't so great or it just you have that realisation that moment of clarity that is why they invented Snapchat <laughs> they did <laughs> um, at the time now I wasn't I wasn't drunk at the time I made this bet but at the time I thought it was brilliant Okay. and I talked myself into it and now in the cold light of day I'm rapidly changing my mind but I have bet on Everton oh no to beat Watford Oh, that is a terrible. And word. Richarlison to score. Oh God! So it it's obviously worse. Marco Silva and Richarlison against their old club. Oh, okay. Yeah. In Watford, um, and I've bet on West Ham to beat Crystal Palace, and that is paying uh, twenty-one dollars. Wow! <laughs> what the fuck? Sorry, Sorry, language warning. What? $21? $21. I was just saying how this is, we're going to rectify it this week and do really well. And I feel like. What what, what do you think? Um, It it could happen. (laughs) (laughs) My, 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 My caveat to that is how do Everton always concede goals? From set pieces. How do Watford always score goals? They got a lot of big blokes. From set pieces. <laughs> so Watford are going to beat Everton at home. And not just that, but there are some players in Watford starting eleven that would love to beat Everton. Yeah, they're going to all play. Dylan Fayou is going to play out of his skin. Everyone who knows Marco Silva and, and knows the, the slump they went on is good. And Troy Deeney loves bullying people and, and Everton's two centre-backs get bullied all day. And Silva dropped Deeney, so Deeney's just going to be like... I'm like I win. say, moment of clarity yes. not doesn't look so good. Um, my bet is... I've also bet on Burnley to beat Brighton, Jeff, because it just seemed like it was overpaying and Burnley are unbeaten in six and Brighton haven't won in six. So... For form, as long as, they, as long as they don't bring Hove Albion with them, the last <laughs> the last three games between Brighton and Burnley have had one goal. It's been nil 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 and one nil. Oh. So it's not going to be high scoring, but I can see Crouch coming off the bench and scoring a 90th minute winner for Burnley. Um, and I've also bet on Southampton to beat Cardiff at home because Southampton have got a bit of form. They're playing well at home, and Cardiff can't do shit. They're rubbish away, yeah. Um, and that's paying six dollars. Okay. So, a bit more sensible yeah. than $21. <laughs> and $13. Can I please have a whinge about Peter Crouch? 
Yeah, go on. Go on then. So, um, in the same way we asked if that bloke was signed because of uh, Sunderland Till I Die. Yeah. Right, so Peter Crouch has gone to Burnley. Yeah. Every single thing I've heard about that signing has been so painfully positive. <laughs> so positive. Yeah. Like, it's been... Oh, he's just such a good guy. Such a good guy. Great influence in the changing room. He'll, he'll, he'll unify the squad. He'll galvanise them. You know, he's just such a good fella. I'm like, okay, so what's ha- what's changed here? Peter Crouch has released a podcast. It's called That Peter Crouch Podcast, where he's asked by two people who want to suck his bumhole for him <laughs> to tell you stories about what it's like to be a footballer. Yeah. He tells mildly interesting stories, said Blokes who want to suck his bumhole love listening to them and suck his bumhole. Now, because of that, Peter Crouch <laughs> sounds like a great guy, yeah. right? It's not a very good podcast. Sorry if anyone... <laughs> it's just there are better it's podcasts. Okay, yeah. I mean, listen to the football shit. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so because of that, and because it's a BBC podcast, BBC pundits, the media are like, oh, he's just great to have in the dressing room. He's just going to be such a good guy. Because of that, it's definitely signed. Even if he only comes up, offers something different. Peter Crouch is a 36-year-old... 38. 38-year-old. 38. 38. He's quite tall, too. He's a 38-year-old lanky bloke. He's like, never had pace. He's still got no pace. He never need ah uh, ah uh, like I can't believe. Do you know what? Uh, after this, hundred percent, he's going to come off the bench, score the win, and he'll score the win. I um, <laughs> we we have got to go, but I'd just like to say I love that Peter Crouch is signed for Burnley. He's a really nice guy. Oh! <laughs> but thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we will be back next week. Um, as always, get if you want to get in touch, shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail um, and if you like it, give us a review, tell your mates, um, and we'll be back next week. And buy us an air conditioning unit, please. It's very hot in the shed. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. See ya. <laughs>